Hi everyone, welcome back to Welcome to Thunderdome. Uh, hiatus is officially over. We took a few months off to take care of ourselves and our family and kind of get situated in the new world we live in. Uh, but this episode, we wanted to release it on 420. It just, you know, we never edited it in time and the world felt shit before we could post it. But we're back now. Uh, our next episode is going to be a live watch of Sold Out. You need to check our Instagram at uh, Thunderdome Cast for more info when we post it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Please sit back, relax, enjoy our 420 slash coronavirus special slash off of hiatus welcome back episode thing. All right. <laughs> It's hot time to slow down. Right. I think you're gonna open it up by fucking dying. Yeah, that's good. That's the best. That's the best way to open up the coronavirus episode is with a lot of fucking coughing. Or it could be the weed episode because of. The oh, I guess so. Ah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got double meaning there. Welcome to Welcome to Thunderdome, the A-plus review of the world's best B-show. I am the hostess with the mostest with the toastest, Nick Serretta, joined live from Rachacha, New York, whose heart is true, and he's a pal and a confidant. It's Andrew Jones. My quarantined queen. My quizzical, quimsical, quarantined queefer. Uh, we're here to quitique. And to uh, I can't. I'm, I'm lost on any more keywords. But we're we're watching Thunder. It's good stuff. We're all. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a looser, a little bit of a shaggy dog episode this time. As obviously, in case you couldn't tell, uh, Nick and I are recording this remotely uh, in the midst of a pandemic that has shut down all wrestling as we know it. Uh, WrestleMania this year was in an isolated location with no audience, and uh, I think it's not a stretch nick to say that it basically approached like conceptual performance art to put it politely it was strange it was... yeah i mean some of it some of it was great the boneyard match obviously is what everybody is going to be talking about rightfully so um it was amazing but uh, we were talking about this earlier it's it's good but it's good in the ways that like the original broken matt hardy stuff was good where you sort of felt them like they built this like campy over-the-top universe and then made a short film in it it wasn't it wasn't a wrestling match you know it was a it was a wwe produced short film starring the undertaker <laughs> and they aired it during wrestlemania is basically what it was it was cool it was we fun. got uh, american badass undertaker this time yeah he was kind of a fusion of like the american badass and the dead man you know we got little tinges of both in it we were talking about this last year but uh would would cena and undertaker been cooler if it was american badass taker yeah i feel like if you did that it would have to be american badass taker versus like white rapper cena cena is pitched as undertaker is like fuck up son and then the dead man is like the get off my lawn libertarian texan but we were talking about, like, short of, like, punk returning, 
what could WWE give us that we haven't already gotten that would get the biggest pop at WrestleMania? And something we both came up with was American Badass Undertaker returning. So, of course, because WWE is a, is a human monkey's paw, you know, they're like, ooh, we should bring back American Badass. And the fucking paw's finger curled. It was, <laughs> your wish is granted. You'll get the return of American Badass, but there'll be no one to see him. Oh, it was, it was, I mean, it was fun. Like, was it WrestleMania? No, no it wasn't. It was a weird pre-taped four hour long WWE show. I remember Jim Cornette talking about empty arena matches with like Jerry Lawler and uh, Harley Race or Blackjack Mulligan. And yeah, I always think of the one with Mick Foley and The Rock. Yeah, that one. That's, I think, most people of, of our generation, that's like if you your empty arena match. That's what you think of. But, you know, it's interesting you bring up that stuff with like Harley Race because it used to be that in the 70s and 80s and you had two guys who fucking hated each other. It's like if Harley Race shows up to Memphis to fight Jerry Lawler, he might get stabbed. So we're going to do an empty arena match. Rules. It's cool. Like, it, when you think about it that way, it's a cool gimmick. But in practice, it's almost never exciting. It's always weird. Uh, wrestling is an art that demands an audience. And when you don't have one, it highlights the artificiality of all of it. Yeah. Shall we uh, Shall we get the brass tacks? Yeah, I guess so. So do you, do you have, like, a quick recap for us, Nick, on uh, what we're coming in from on this most recent episode of Thunder? I certainly do. There is a $1.5 million performance bond that is set for sold-out pay-per-view, which is going to happen January 22nd. This is the go-home show, which is, if this was on a Thursday, then, two yes. days, then it was going to be on Saturday. So there's a performance bond of $1.5 million. The match is between Giant and Kevin Nash. But if Giant as so much lays a finger on Nash, he has to match that $1.5 million. And WCW is out a lot of money. Kevin Nash, Kevin Nash is like a pig in shit oh with all of God. this, by the way. Like he every time Kevin Nash comes out, all he is doing is egging the giant on. And it's amazing. He is so great at playing this little pestering shit, despite the fact that he's this enormous man. We can we'll see in this episode, you know, Paul White, the giant, he's played it cool so far. He's got coffee thrown in his face mm -hmm. twice now. He's gotten beat up, but he's gonna get his chance to fight Kevin Nash and he's just gotta lay off. But we're starting to see a little bit of that frustration boil over at the end of this episode. And we'll get to that. It's good stuff. At the start of this show, uh, we have Tony Giovanni back at the desk. Yeah, it's nice to see him. Uh, minutes before they went live, pal. Uh, WCW, put, <laughs> WCW puts out a press release, quote, coming up in a mere two days on the sold-out pay-per-view in Dayton, Ohio, an announcement will be made about the future of the vacated World Heavyweight Championship. Are you fucking kidding me? I know. <laughs> an announcement? Like, this is the first pay-per-view that's being announced on sold out, and you're trying to get more eyes on the product, and then you have to wait Two days for an announcement on what's going on with your two biggest stars of the company? Ah! Yeah, it seems like a mistake to me. So obviously this all started from, if you listen to us a couple of episodes back, we went over the incident where uh, between Hulk Hogan and Sting and the NWO and WCW and the belt has been vacated. If there was a fast count and 
Hogan and Sting. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. Yeah, the, the powers that be have decided that because of the screwy finish to that match, neither Sting nor Hogan will hold the WCW title. So it is currently in limbo. So Nick, this is our third episode of Thunder that we've covered, right? Yep. yep the yep. belt was vacated before the first one we had. Uh, this was vacated on the first episode. So if you're trying to build to sold out, the first pay-per-view that has existed since Thunder became a show, you're you're not going to defend your biggest belt on that show? You had four weeks <laughs> to book something. Like, and, and the best you can do is like, all right, look, I know you guys, it would be cool to have a title match on a pay-per-view. I guess that's a thing people do, but we're just, we're going to do an announcement instead on sold out. It, it is just, it doesn't make, I feel like I've said, I say this every episode. It doesn't make any sense from a booking decision. This is like nuts and bolts shit that they're missing. Uh, Marshall compares the big gold belt to the Stanley Cup 100% agree. Like, these are the two two of the biggest prizes in professional sports. And I guess, that, you know, seeing it like that, I can understand, like, the, you know, dangle a carrot on the stick to get the people to, to see what'll happen. But now we have to wait another couple weeks because you bet your sweet bippy they're not going to do that match for free. No, and it doesn't make any sense to me either that by then announcing what the match is going to be on a pay-per-view, you're devaluing the belt again. The belt should only show up on a show you have to pay to watch if somebody's defending it. If I'm paying you $50 for the sold-out pay-per-view, because the, uh, no, there's no network. You're paying for every pay-per-view. A lot of money. Paper, I don't remember all you other 90s babies out there like Nick and I were. These shits are expensive. They're not cheap. And I find out that they're not defending the main belt in the company on it? What am I watching it for? Oh, see the tag belt. It's the lucha shit. Like, alright, like, like, Hogan's not going to have a match. Sting's not going to have a match. But, I mean, Kevin Nash and Giant are having a match. That is that. Ric Flair and Brett are having a match. But, yeah, it's for nothing. But it's not for anything. It's just, it's all these feuds where it's like, and I, I will say, I think they've done a good job building up Giant Kevin Nash. I think that's, like, that's been pretty well booked. But at the end of the day, it's it's a feud that has no reason to exist other than these guys don't like each other, which is, that's a legitimate reason to have a feud in wrestling. But if every match on your pay-per-view, the story is these guys don't like each other, six of those in a row, you're eventually you're going to be like, what? why does any of this matter? In other news, uh, in the beginning of the segment, Roddy Piper apparently was on an episode of Walking Texas Stranger. Oh, cool. Uh, I can tell you specifically what that was. Uh, season six, episode 16, Crusader, uh, a woman witnesses a murder and is on the run from the killer. She takes her son to stay with the boy's father, who is a pro wrestler struggling with his own problems. The Rangers try to find the woman to protect her. That's the idea. Now, su surprisingly enough, uh, Roddy Piper actually plays the son in this episode. He plays a six-year-old. He's, he's a transformative actor, <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper. But the uh, the main event tonight uh, for this edition of Thunder, January 22nd in Huntsville, Alabama, it is Giant versus Scott Hall. And yes. know, one could wonder how this will pan out. Yes, one one might say that there is an outside -er chance of interference. Match number one. <laughs> 
We have. That was a good pun. Fuck you. Match <laughs> uh, one. Match, match number one. We have Conan versus Scott Steiner. So out comes the, out of the crag Conan and Vincent. I keep writing Virgil in parentheses because that's just who he is. It's Virgil. Uh, it is Virgil. Yeah. He's just not calling himself that. Yeah, and followed out by uh, Scott Steiner and Ted DiBiase. Uh, by the way, this episode is a great episode for uh, for sign watches. Oh, I have so many. Oh, my God. So uh, first sign watch I have is Cartman in an NWO shirt, and he's doing a suck it pose, which is weird. But that wasn't the weirdest thing I thought of. It's like when I saw that sign, I couldn't help but imagine Conan as Cartman. <laughs> we put the blue and yellow hat on him. It could, it could be. It could pass. To be fair, if Conan was any South Park character, he would absolutely be Cartman because he he doesn't give a shit about anyone and is a blatantly evil person. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> sending Mexican pro wrestling legends to their death. Uh, I have a note here when uh, Scott's here. Scott flexes. Oh, it's so gross. The thing is, is like the muscle itself is pretty, you know, big. Don't get me wrong, but He's the jacked. way, but the structure of the bicep, the way it looks, it kind of looks like in uh in a Daffy Duck cartoon where he's like flexing it out, <laughs> pops a little like a tiny little muscle. Yes, it's like a it's like a real steep hill, and it, it's just oh, it, it's skeeting me out. Like he's big, but not in a good way. No, he looks gross. Uh, if we're still doing sign watch, my favorite one is Mike Tanay is the leader of gay luchador sex. I I was I had to pause and I just went fucking what? Yeah, what not only did that mean? sign not only did that sign get in, but that guy's sitting on the hard cam. That means that anybody in the production trailer who is like directing and cutting the episode live has been looking at that sign the whole time oh, and didn't do shit about it. It's just awesome. Another sign watch I have uh Lodi rules. I so oh my god. It's another guy on the hard cam. I if you would ask me, like, hey, Andrew, do you think anyone was ever a Lodi fan? I'm like, fuck no. Here's the thing, though. There were multiple signs in the same kind of sign format, which was a orange paper, like orange, like, uh, cardboard paper, and big red, I mean, big black text. So I'm imagining that it's probably a plant or somebody really, really likes Lodi. I thought it might have been like there was a sale at the Huntsville Dollar General and everybody <laughs> bought the same cardboard. By the way, uh, our boy Lodi, he's still wrestling. He is in a promotion called Christian Wrestling, which is pro wrestling with a message. I haven't I mean, seen any videos of it, but oh my God, we, we must, we must take a dive into this one day. The match starts, and you know, when we start this match, you know, the desk is kind of hinting at a, at a Scott singles uh, run, which is definitely happening, but they're kind of landing on real thick here. Like talking yeah, about Rick is here, but he's like, like in jeans and a shirt. 
despite Conan getting in a couple bits of offense, Scott absolutely manhandles him. Like, he oh, yeah. gives him these stiff chops, chucking him on the mat. Like, there's he's really beating the shit out of him. Uh, Lee Marshall says, there's no upper body like Scott Steiner's. And he's right. It is true. He's, For better or worse. And oh, as soon as Scott is ready... You know, Scott gets Conan on top turnbuckle. Oh, and wouldn't you know it, out come fucking Flotsam and Jetsam, Buck Bagwell and Scott Norton. And they Pearl Harbor Scotty and they just kick the shit out of him and the match is over. Yeah, they beat up uh, Scott Steiner and then Rick comes to make the save. They toss out Buff and uh, his compatriot. And as... Buff is like, well, I might have got my ass kicked, but I still got the stuff. And he starts doing a pose off with Scott Steiner and Buff and Scott each flex to see who can make the bigger baby head appear on their <laughs> forearm. Uh, and throughout all of this, Scott Steiner is flexing like the booty daddy he will eventually become. And in what is an amazing shot, a great piece of camera work, Scott is like flexing and talking shit to Buff on the outside. And Rick is just standing behind Scott shooting fucking daggers at him. Rick looks like a disgruntled gardener that hasn't been paid He's got these, like, blue carpenter jeans and a little t-shirt and a hat. And he's just like, I'm going to – I thought he was going to actually attack Scott here. Uh, Kevin – so up next we have a Kevin Nash promo. Kevin Nash coming out of the crag looking like he just got out of a Nirvana show. He I, – I have written down he looks like Eddie Vedder's stunt double. He has, like, the, the quilted flannel and a t-shirt that looks like it has Hulk Hogan on it. I think it is Hogan. Um and this backwards baseball cap and the shitty goatee and the shitty long and the hair. Shitty um, he looks like yeah, he looks like a bully from an early season of Degrassi. Oh. He's got like this kind of spinner vibes, but if Spinner was in like a grunge band. Um and he comes out and cuts what is a pretty bog standard Kevin Nash promo, but even like a, a regular old Kevin Nash promo is still more entertaining than 90% of the other stuff on this show. Meat and potatoes of this promo is that uh, in the next half hour, in the next hour and a half, Nash is going to be a very rich man because he's got a couple tricks up his sleeve yeah. for uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's building up to the, it's more or less just building up to their sold out match. But I have uh, two really great sign watches here. Uh, there is only one giant, in quotation marks, Kevin Nash, and it's not you. <laughs> is that, oh, I see. I'll raise your buff there, Kevin Nash, if that is your real name. I, I actually have that sign noted as well, and my favorite part of that sign is that the quotation marks are only around the name Kevin. <laughs> your last name is legit, but don't tell me Kevin. Um... So, <clears throat> second on my uh, sign watch, Sting is a mute girl. What? <laughs> what? I, I don't know. I, yeah, I can't make... I got no, nothing. I got nothing on that one. Uh, match number two, we have uh, Chavo Guerrero with Super Kahlo versus La Parca and Silver King. This is a uh, CMLL AAA uh, luchador match. So uh, uh, Mike Tanay joins us, Iron Mike Tanay, at the uh, commentary for this uh. match. Uh, and when they cut to him, his mic is muted. 
<laughs> you can only hear like maybe like maybe one decibel, and we, it's really hard to hear them over like the firecrackers and the music. So Lee Marshall has to jump in for the save, rattling the history of the Guerrero family. And then Bobby Heenan says, "Well, I didn't touch it." <laughs> I felt like they missed a really good opportunity for like Iron Mike is having Mike trouble. Like that's such a that you that's up on a tease. Come on. The problem is it's like WCW. They're more worried about the fact that their production value is that of a high school news show. They're running out of money. Oh yeah, for a for a billionaire, Ted Turner is almost shockingly cheap. Uh, Laparka, when he comes out, he comes out with the chair and not only like motions to hit a fan, which rules. But when you look into, like, the seat of the camera where, like, you're bashing someone's head in. It's not, like, dry blood on it. Yeah, oh, gross. I couldn't gruesome. fucking... Like, you know that's Laparka's blood. Like, he just slipped and fell <laughs> on or something. It's also, like, he comes in with it, starts playing air guitar, and just, uh... And... Oh, yeah, he does yeah. all the shtick. He hits all the Laparka favorites. And, uh, somewhere out there, uh, Tanahashi takes notes. Uh, so... Chavo and Silver King start off this match, and, you know, they have a really great Lucha-esque exchange. You know, they got a couple, you know, arm drags and really nice chain wrestling. And uh, after a hurricanrana from Chavo, Tanae's mic comes back. And uh, Tanae says, don't get fooled with Silver King's stocky physique, which is a nice way of saying, look at this little chubby boy doing all these flipping <laughs> tricks. Uh Laparka though, when he when he gets tagged in, he fucking sells like a boss. Oh yeah, he's always fucking really good at this shit. Laparka is like I don't—he's not a good wrestler, but he's he's great if that makes sense. He's oh, yeah, a character, he, you know. He's somebody that when he's on TV, you have to watch Laparka because he is just the strangest guy in the world. Um, I had to look up who Silver King was because I was unfamiliar with him. He came out dressed like a like a Tejano. Uh, and upon looking it up, it makes sense because he was part of a tag team called Los Cowboys with uh, El Tejano, the original Tejano from the 50s. Um, possibly more interesting is that Silver King's father is Dr. Wagner. Really? And he is the brother of Dr. Wagner Jr. For those who aren't uh, Lucha Libre marks, uh, Dr. Wagner and then his, now his son, Wagner Jr., are like two of the most famous Rudos heels like ever in Mexican wrestling. They are like on – Dr. Wagner is like uh, – he's on the Mount Rushmore of Lucha Libre with, you know, fucking Blue Demon and, and the rest of the boys. Yeah, yeah, Mil Mascaras, absolutely. And it's it's just I didn't know that. And to see him sort of unceremoniously, like he's on like the second match of an hour and a half long episode of Thunder, it's like this guy should be fucking main eventing shit. He's like, this guy's royalty. When Silver King's in the ring, uh the camera cuts to the uh, cuts to the stands and Raven walks in, and somewhere a young Roman Reigns is taking notes. Apparently, he paid to get into the show today. Oh, Raven? Raven. They made Raven pay to go to go see the show of the company that he's employed by? Oh, it's so fucking carny. It's by about like three minutes in when Raven comes in and Laparka's already gassed. Oh, yes. <laughs> he's he's like, all right, on the hard camera when you get to like the bottom right turnbuckle, like... 
it what at first looks like he's shouting into the crowd. It's just like he bends his head over and it's like holding his chest. He's gassed. Yes, I will say there is a reason that for I would say nine tenths of this match, uh, Silver King is wrestling and not Laparka. The most Laparka gets in for the majority of this match is like he'll like push Chavo when he's on the apron or something like that. Uh, Laparka is more mascot than wrestler. Silver King though, he does a he does a cool airplane uh, spin kick, uh, spin kick, and then like a leg somersault uh, drop on Kahlo for a two count. Kahlo kicks out and then hot tags to Chavo, and he's just fucking on fire. Chavo is so good at that fucking hot tag. He does a couple beautiful drop kicks. Uh, Laparka grabs him. Silver King is getting ready to respond with a drop kick of his own. Uh, but Chavo ducks out of the way and kicks Laparka to the outside. And then Chavo follows Ooh. up with a tope. And I thought that was uh, solid. Yeah, Chavo is a really, I mean, he never was like the flashiest luchador, but he is just so technically sound in almost everything that he does. And there is a reason that, at, you know, 30 years later, Chavo is not only still wrestling, but still wrestling at a really high level and like is healthy and looks good. Yeah. And he's, he sort of had the, you know, the Miz thing where he's never going to do the craziest high spots, but that's allowed him to have a really long career, which I'll take any day. Later in the match, uh, Super Kahlo gets Silver King up on the turnbuckle. He does this fucking awesome uh, ankle scissors. He just jumps up and mm-hmm. twists and chucks, uh, and chucks Silver King off the, top, off the top turnbuckle and gets the three for the win. I thought it was, a, and you know what? That was a, that was a good end. It was a good end to a good, uh, to a pretty good match. And by good, it means like not the most exciting, but it was smooth. Again, if I have a complaint, it's that you have four guys in the ring, all of which are at the very least like good luchadors, and I timed this, and the match itself is it's it's maybe a, it's a generous four or a stingy five. It's not long. They don't really get a chance to do anything. So it like in a lot of the Lucha Libre matches we've seen in Thunder so far and in WCW in general, you have all these great wrestlers, but it's like you're watching a match on fast forward. You know, it's just spot, 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 spot. There is no downtime. There is no wasted motion. And they are just going to hit all of their moves until they get to the finish because we have other shit to get through. And in that sense, it sort of makes you feel like these are just kind of little exhibition matches, which they are, but I don't know. It's it's hard, It gets hard to get invested in it. You can tell it's an exhibition match, too, because uh, when the Parker comes back and wails on uh, Chavo with the chair, uh, it turns into a triple-A fucking schmoz, and out comes... Yes, we out- get the rest of the luchadors on the Raw. You know, out comes Ruby Guerrera, Lismar Jr., followed by El Dandy and Psychosis. And yeah, Psychosis, I think, is also still wrestling. Yes, he is. Um, this schmoz is an unmitigated mess. Everybody is doing this really dangerous shit. Like, uh, yes. fucking Laparga gets thrown out of the ring, but he slides oh under the first yes. rope and then fucking bashes his face on the ground. Ugh. 
Yeah, I have that. I have that noted as well. Laparka slides out of the ring, and it looks like he's on like a slip and slide. Yeah. Or that they like oiled. They oiled the canvas, which, based on how greasy all of these guys are, is a possibility. And you're right, Laparka slides. You know how in baseball, like, what is the number one rule of fucking sliding? Is that if you're gonna slide head first, don't. <laughs> you know, like. Because you're gonna you're gonna run into somebody's cleats. Yep. And Laparka slides head first through the ring ropes and just lands right on his face. It is it's embarrassing. Not... And it doesn't look like it's on purpose. Oh, like, and, and it's like everything Laparka does, it looks like the accident of a tubby old guy. <laughs> and when people go to the outside too, they're landing on their ankles weird. Yeah, they're taking so bouffets and you know they're going they're hitting head first. You can see the neck kind of shrinking. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, what a mess. Backstage, we have uh, Rick Martell confronted by Billy Kidman. Calls him a stooge multiple times before he's Pearl Harbored by Perry Saturn and then tossed through the fucking glass door. Fucking ouch. Now, I will say, is this rude from Raven's flock to be beating up on Rick Martell like this? Obviously, is the stooge comment inaccurate? No, not really. Especially we'll find out later. Um, Rick Martell cost the flock a match. And we'll get into the details of that later on in the episode. Yeah, I thought, so obviously this is just like a little 10 second, oh my God, Raven's flock are beating the shit out of Rick Martell. But what I loved is after Rick Martell gets put through the glass door, there's a Valvoline commercial, and then it cuts back to the ring apron. There's a Valvoline commercial, and then it cuts back to the ring apron, and Raven is there. And it's like, oh, Raven's like, oh, it had nothing to do with that. You know, the flock act on their own. I'm, I'm just, I'm here hanging out in the front row of this show I paid to go see, even though they're, they're paying for me. <laughs> so he quit his job at Hot Topic now because he's getting that Valvoline money. <laughs> Can we please talk about so we're really lucky. Uh, the WWE Network, which is obviously what we're watching all these episodes on, uh, has been kind enough to include a lot of the promotional like uh, packages for upcoming shows. And after this little bit with Raven and his flock and uh, the model, we get an ad for what I think has to be a first. And Nick, maybe you did a better bit of research on this than I did but for what I think has to be the first internet-exclusive pay-per-view on a major wrestling show. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because we see stuff now where, in a way, every WWE pay-per-view now is an internet-exclusive because they're all broadcast over the network. Right. But we get an ad. It's a hilarious ad, too, because it's WCW's running down every historical event that's ever happened in Boston, and they're like, the Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, Boston wins the World Series in 1918, and now WCW NWO Boston Brawl, the pay-per-view so good, it's only $8 and you can only see it on dial-up. Yeah, the show is it's like, amazing. the show is eight bucks, which um, I did a cut, I did the conversion and 2020 money, that's about 13 bucks. It's twelve fifty nine. It 
This is the most Vince McMahon shit I have ever seen I know, I from, from a company yet. not run by Vince McMahon. To, to do a package where you're like, the most important moments in American history. Fuck all that shit, Boston Brawl! I just wanted to, I was so waiting for it to be like, the Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, Red Sox win the World Series, Goodwill Hunting is released and wins three <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think you're wicked smart, huh? You just regurgitate your facts. Match number three. We have a match between two wrestlers who put together have the charisma of a loaf of bread. Marty Jannetty and <laughs> Dean Malenko. Yes, I can't believe it. I know. Like, they picked the two wrestlers that everybody is. Oh, those guys are fucking duller than a bag of rocks. And the, the, the biggest grievance I had with this match... This was after the Lucha match. I like, know. It has to follow La Parca. Way to suck the air out of the room. Holy shit. Uh, you know, and I got to say, Andrew, during this broadcast, I hear this guy, uh, Chris Benoit. I, I hear his name. I hear his name a lot. But I just, I don't know who this guy is. It's kind of strange because they kept mentioning this one wrestler, but every time that they would say his name, the audio would cut out, and a guy that sounded a little bit like Vince would just say, vacant, and then, you know, they would keep moving on, and uh, it was it was odd. I didn't quite know what to make of it. Bizarre. We heard it once, and then just redacted the entire time. It's weird. Did you clock the... I, again, I maybe I missed what this was, but as Dean Malenko is walking to the ring, there's like a mascot behind him. Yeah. Did you see this? I, I, there's a guy in a suit. Like, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what it was either. I'm trying to maybe get a better look at him. But as Dean Malenko is coming out, the camera catches what I think is supposed to be a bull in sunglasses and wrestling boots yeah I, don't, I can't i can't make heads or tails of what this is is this guy out of curiosity if we're talking about the same guy is it like is he in like green and white little jocks or whatever yeah he's in like a green jumpsuit with like yellow kind of macho man tassels yeah he's like got a do-rag on like who is that I'm, man, that's the, the man. We got a mystery on our heads. Yeah, it was like some Lynchian nightmare, like standing in the corner, sort of monolithic and, and foreboding. It was, it was really weird. I gotta say though, speaking of weird mascots, uh, shout out to the doughy nerd in the Macho Madness shirt in the front row. You see this guy? Absolutely no muscle tone or definition. Just looks like, you know, a temp worker at Best Buy. And he's got the macho shirt on, cut up with the sleeves and the and the long V-neck. It just, he looks like a pile of silly putty in a macho t-shirt. He's just sitting there. I have so much respect for this dude because this guy was like, I am not going to let my complete lack of muscular definition stop me. I'm gonna do it. Like, and he did it. He committed to the bit. I, I don't know about you. I feel like marks get a bad rap. You know, I would much rather have a guy show up to the show like that and be taking pictures and be cheering for the wrestlers and be, you know, engaging with the show than somebody who's sitting in the front row because they got free tickets. You know, I'll, I'll take fucking nerds any day. 
Dude, I would have watched that for I would have watched him for fucking three minutes except for this match. Let's let's be honest, that was us. Yeah. Like we were us. we were both that guy. Just like uh, I, I, again, I would rather watch him than this fucking match, which just the first bit just keeps I understand Dean Malenko is like slow, but he's good and he's master of a thousand holds and this, that, and the other thing. But then you have Marty Jannetty, who, you know, when we're talking about wrestling and fast forward, Marty Jannetty wrestles as if he was being downloaded through dial up. He does fucking every little <laughs> bit. He has to think a second before he actually puts the move on. It's like, dude, if you're wrestling Dean Malenko, you gotta pick it up a bit. Like, Marshall even yeah, says. I, I- Marshall even says straight up, Malenko doesn't show any emotion. <laughs> you don't know if you're actually hurting him. That's so that's so backhanded. Like, oh. This guy is so boring that it's it's actually becomes an advantage for him because you can't tell when he's when he's hurt. His nickname, uh, the other bit of information we got, his nickname is the Iceman. I'm like, yeah, I agree because he doesn't get oh any. Oh my heat. god, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, but I'll say, thank God this match picks up towards the end. and Marty's flashing, like, whatever bit of his agility he had left, and he outmaneuvers Malenko for a little bit. So at the end of this match, Janetti sets up for a rocker dropper, but Malenko overpowers him and, he, and flips Marty over him, gives him a double underhook powerbomb into a cloverleaf, and Marty taps out. It's cool. It's crisp. It looks really That's good. That's the thing. You can't um, take that away from Dean Malenko. He is fucking the, crisp like a puff rice. I mean, yeah, so at least for me, what I took away from this match is that there are some people who are going to love this, right? The The match has a story. It's paced out really well for the time that they have. It starts with these kind of this technical back and forth, right? These are two guys that are really good mat wrestlers, and that's what a lot of this match is, is back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and then eventually the pace picks up and we start to see more speed and the tempo rises and eventually we come to the finish. I think that if this were a a pay-per-view match, I would understand because you would have more time. The match, it, it means more for it to be structured like that, but for a like a six-minute match in the middle of an episode of Thunder, this just sort of feels like it's boring, yeah. you know? And I'm sure this, some people really like this shit, but at least for me, it that only works if one half of the two guys fighting is the interesting one. And that's what this is, unfortunately. Because the whole reason the I'm a good wrestler gimmick works is that it stands in direct opposition to everything that professional wrestling is. The outsized personalities, the gaudy costumes, the crazy moves. So if you have two guys whose gimmick is we're regular Joes who are good at, you know, grappling, you just end up having, it's like, I could just watch real wrestling. (laughs) You know, what am I watching this for? I don't have a problem with that, but that's not what I paid to watch. This kind of match can be really good but in this case it didn't do it for me no neither did i and i like both these guys too genetti genetti not as much genetti's not a bad wrestler but he's pretty middle of the road i think uh dean malenko obviously is like one of the greatest technical wrestlers to come out of western wrestling 
like maybe ever. But he put just, all the points in you know, strength and agility, but didn't put any for charisma. Yes, yeah, so he he maxed out his dexterity skill, but put charisma and luck. He put him all the way down. So match number four, we have Kendall Wyndham versus Goldberg. Wyndham is the next so bad. Wyndham's the next sacrificial lamb to be fed to Bergy. Uh, but I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Kendall Wyndham is Blackjack Mulligan's son. Wow! Yes. Really? Okay. Uh, and also in uh, in 1990. Wyndham! Yeah! Oh, God, fuck it! I, I figured he obviously must have been part of the, the Barry Wyndham, you know, the family. But I didn't realize he was his son. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Kendall Wyndham and his father, Blackjack Mulligan, were arrested by the U.S. Secret Service in a joint investigation with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement for counterfeiting. The authorities found close to $500,000 in phony $20 bills. And as part of a plea agreement, both father and son spent two years in federal lockup and were released in 1992. I, I legitimately thought you were going to say they were caught counterfeiting WCW titles. No. Considering that that belt drops in value over the years. They've got, like, Nick Gage cred, you know? Like, they were actually in jail. Oh, man. That's the that's the only thing interesting I could pull up about uh, Mr. Wyndham here. You know, after Wyndham gets his offense in, he does a couple good, like, shoulder hits. And, <laughs> offense. Yeah, the offense. And as soon as Goldberg does his uh, one-bar grapple special... Wyndham powers out of his little uh, scissors roll-up because he doesn't know how to put the fucking lock on. Wyndham, you know, punches Goldberg, but he hulks up. So gives him, uh, gives Wyndham a spear right into the fucking diaphragm. You could see, like, his fucking shoulder bashes right into his chest. I swear oh. to God, I thought I saw it came in. This guy uh, first gets the wind knocked out of him, then takes a monster jackhammer and then loses in one minute and 21 seconds. This guy had a snowball's chance in hell. That it's an eternity, an eternity for a Goldberg match. I had a really good chuckle because when Wyndham walks to the ring, maybe it's just that he's bald and has a goatee, but he came out and I thought maybe he was Gilbert. Or like <laughs> he was purposefully, he was purposefully trying to like take the piss. You know, by dressing like Goldberg, like shaving his head, growing the goatee, wearing the little trunks. Like when they're standing next to each other, he looks like he could have been Goldberg's brother that just got out of prison. Someone cut a little piece of back fat off of Goldberg and it turned into Kendall Wyndham. After poor Kendall was uh, sacrificed to to Goldberg. Uh, Scott Hall comes out and cuts a promo on Larry Sabisco. They have a match that's sold out. This is, like, somehow the hottest feud on Thunder? Uh, you know, the first episode, if you guys uh, were with us from the first episode, we were slagging on Larry Sabisco and just like, come on, this is a match that nobody wanted to fucking see. But signs everywhere welcoming Scott Hall to Larry Land. <laughs> when uh, when uh, Scott Hall does his uh, survey promo that he's been doing at every town uh, to Huntsville, which, by the way, the result of this survey, uh, Huntsville is against the NWO. Uh, Someone has a sign that says NWO stands for never wrestles anyone. (laughs) Of 
Um, there's a sign watch that also says, survey says Larry Land. How did this get over? I, I don't know. I, you know what? Survey says Larry Land. Welcome to Larry Land. Now, they're all on the hard camera and they're all being held by these like boys in their late teens. And it's so funny. I didn't think about this until you said it. I, they are probably plants, right? They have to be. I, if you were a 17 year old boy and you got tickets and you were going to be on the hard cam at a WCW Thunder taping and you're, you know you're going to make a sign and you land on Larry Zabisco? Yeah, no way. I, just, I find it hard to believe. Over Hulk Hogan, over Brett. Over Kevin Nash. Over Kevin Nash. Over Scott Hall. O- over DDP. Over, over Goldberg. Anybody. Over Goldberg, yeah. Like, you're picking one arm McGee. I, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. And neither does Scott. By the way, Scott Hall looks older than Larry. I, I just want to say. I mean, Scott Hall could very well be Larry's, like, nephew. Certainly not son. They don't look anything alike. Scott Hall is a living cautionary tale. Oh God. Like, just by looking at him. You know? Scott was so handsome in the early 90s and the new generation, and then we're in the late 90s now, and you can start to see he, he looks like the liquor is catching up to him. I'll say that. Oh, I all right. I just we got another shot of it. It's, it's NWO stands for Never Wrestles One on One, which is actually NWO. <laughs> After Scott Hall says uh, he's going to shut Larry Sabisco's big mouth on Saturday. Yeah. All right. Guess who it is, Andrew? Who's coming out of the crag with a golf bag? Oh my God! The innovator of the Death Valley Driver, Nick. The NWO's number one simp. Louis Spicoli. Louis, Mar- yes. Louis, I have in my notes, Marky Marks Spicoli. Uh, he, he comes he out. He looks like a really out of shape Chris Jericho here, which I love. He's, I love that he comes out. He is so subservient to Scott that he's like, I know you're not even golfing right now, but I'm going to be your caddy. Just I'm going to volunteer. The worst part is Scott Hall asked for his name again. Again, again, again. It it's so degrading. It's like you this this is the same segment from last week, just with props. Louis gets his two iron out, you know, and Scott's like, "Oh, let's well, go show us your swing." And he starts swinging the golf clubs. They start, he starts breaking them one by one. He takes a two iron out. He takes a four iron out, and he just <laughs> he just breaks them over his knee. Scott Hall. Uh, Cracks a joke here. He says when he breaks the two uh, the two iron. Oh, I guess that t- that golf club was just too sweet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like he's not even trying. Like yeah, even he knows. You know, why the, the chicken? Why the chicken cross the road? Oh, because the the other side was too sweet. <laughs> uh. So as uh, we get this business with the golf clubs, there's Pyro up from the top of the aggro crag and walking down the ramp to confront Scott and Louie. It's the magical leader of Larry Land himself, Larry Zabisco, looking like the villain in a 70s psychosexual drama. <laughs> He's got this like heel suit coat and black like sex offender turtleneck <laughs> on. And I just, he I have never seen a grown man look more disgusting disgusted at two sweaty children before. 
Uh, Larry and Louie, they square up because, uh, you know, Scott's egging him on. Like, let's go right now. And Louie's like, no, I'll take I'll take this heat for you, Scott. I'll, I'll take a bullet for you. And uh, Louie squares up and he tries to spear Larry, but then just gets, like, caught <laughs> – like a sleeper hole and he starts choking him out scott hollow tries to get an elbow on him and he just dodges him and hits louie instead yeah he's he's spry for a 90 year old man he's uh but yeah you know he's made his point he says he's not gonna walk out alone on saturday and just leaves Mm. Mm. cryptic my favorite part of this entire segment was as Larry dips out of the ring to go back and Scott's kind of in there like, no, come on, come on. You want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Larry looks at Scott in the ring and does Scott Hall's little fingers. I I have a hard time believing he draws as well as they'd like to make us believe. Do you want to know what? Unless everybody cheering in the crowd is a plant, which they can't all be, right? Larry Zabisco is legitimately over in 1998, which is just amazing. God bless him, honestly. God bless him. He looks like Michael Keaton's dad that, like, abandoned him as a child and he never knew him. It's, you know, (laughs) third, I will say, though, third episode in, it's getting better. Can we please talk about how Chris Benoit is the most over guy on this show? Oh, you mean... Oh, yeah, I know that guy, Chris... Oh, my favorite wrestler, Redacted. (laughs) But it it is strange to see here because Benoit is so over on this episode and he gets a pop at one point in his match for doing a back body drop. So to see how you know, erased from history he's been when he got some of the biggest reactions I've ever seen. It's just strange. Like, there, there's a kind of dissonance there that sits uneasily with me. And, th- and their fucking match, uh, Jericho and Redacted, started off uh, after fucking he cheap shots Eddie again. I mean, not cheap shots Eddie, uh, cheap shots Ray. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie and Ray have an amazing match here, but it's also like five minutes long. Uh, <laughs> I got a, one of the Sorry. notes from the one of the notes from from that match. Uh, <laughs> uh, high risk moves from Ray Ray, a true fighting champ. Brain calls him L W. Yes, I love that. <laughs> that is so good. There's a there's a couple of really cool spots in this match. There's a moment where Ray goes up to kind of leapfrog Eddie and Eddie lifts Ray up in the air to try to run under him. And Ray turns it into like a drop kick in midair, like almost like bat, like propelling himself off of Eddie. It's so cool. That's his penchant though. He's so, he's so light and so nimble. He can, you know, yeah, both of these guys are, I mean, Eddie is definitely more jacked, but neither of them are huge. The announcers kind of play it off as like, Eddie has more power behind his moves, but Ray has, like, the intangible sort of fighting spirit. You know, he's he's the guy that's if he's going to get by on heart alone, he's going to be able to make it work. Um, what do we think about Ray's blue bikini brief cutout trunks that he's wearing? I, uh, I, I called it the uh, sexy blue demon. Yeah, Ray, Ray is wearing long white tights but the brief area is colored blue so it looks like he's wearing a little blue bikini bottom (laughs) with white leggings under it and 
I I will say if anybody can pull it off, it's Ray, but it's a silly, silly looking outfit. He's got that knee brace on also. So the story we're kind of going with here, I guess, is that Ray has already been injured. And then before this match can get past the five minute mark, Jericho runs in and starts beating the shit out of Ray. In his own t-shirt too, in a Ray t-shirt. Yes, Jericho shows up in a Ray t-shirt because he's petty as all shit. Uh, Chris Jericho is going to be facing Rey Mysterio at Sold Out in two days' time. So he's trying to get in a couple of cheap shots on Ray here while he can. But Eddie is pissed off because this was a Cruiserweight Championship match. So Eddie lost his opportunity here, and he starts jawing with Jericho. And it's just amazing to see somebody that can go toe-to-toe with Jericho in the shit-talking yeah. Uh, spectrum. Like, Eddie is, like, the only guy in this company able to keep up with Jer- Jericho. I I think talks more in the ring than any wrestler I have ever seen in my entire life. Oh, yeah. But he is just constantly shit-talking the fans or his opponent or the announcers or the viewers. It's awesome. I love him. So what did we think about the uh, Chris Jericho versus Redacted match? Because let me tell you, those fucking chops from Redacted, they, uh, it's not as stiff as a starch shirt, man. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, they're arguably the best ever, to be honest. Benoit's chops, a a chop is not a difficult move to do. And to be honest, I would say the more wrestlers have a good chop than they have a bad chop, right? It's hard to really mess that up. But there is, again, the sort of intangible put behind it as to what makes a chop great. And it's that resonance. It's that sound of the slapping when he hits you in the chest. And when Benoit does it, it's like a musket going off. It is so loud. It's just terrifying every time that he does it. And you can tell Chris is Chris only takes a handful of them and his chest is so red by the oh end of this God. like five minute long schmoz. It's like his fucking heart one more chop. At the end of this match, it's like one more chop, his heart might explode. <laughs> there is a textbook example of a WCW in this match, Nick. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, for any viewers at home that don't know what the WCW is, it is the technique that WCW didn't invent, but it is extremely prominent in their match producing and when you start noticing it you can't unnotice it and that is when your two wrestlers are in the ring one wrestler rolls under the bottom rope to try to like get some rest on the outside the other wrestler his opponent rolls out after him chases him around the ring wrestler one then rolls up back into the ring giving himself the advantage over wrestler two who is now on the outside this is done once you notice this in every match on WCW. And there's a great example of it here where Jericho tries to lure Benoit back into the ring. As Benoit rolls into the ring, Jericho fucks him up and tries to get him into a lion tamer, which Benoit transitions into an Enzigiri. Disgusting. Like, oh, it's so cool. Yeah, uh, let me, uh, I'll refer to my notes here. I wrote, yikes. (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. Uh, Benoit tries to go for a powerbomb at one point. It doesn't work. Jericho gets him on the ground. Jericho hits him with some ground and pound. I got to say, I don't know if you feel this too. Anytime Benoit, even if it's like a worked strike, anytime Benoit takes a hit to the head, I just fucking, I'm like, I'm back in nom. You know, I'm just like, oh, I know. Knowing what will happen. It's not funny, but it's, it is just kind of like, oh, Christ. Oh, 
It's like every chair shot we hear, like his picture fades from <laughs> from no, reality. <laughs> He's already been flying himself. Uh, so apparently, you know, after Chris gets the shit kicked out of him, this match was supposed to have him get heat with Raven, apparently. Yeah, I guess Benoit is going to be facing Raven at Sold Out. And in order to get heat from that match, instead of having like Raven cut a promo or Raven have a match, I guess Raven is still being disciplined for dicking around too much on previous episodes. So they were saying again, Raven like bought a ticket and just showed up in the crowd, which means, of course, he's going to interfere in the match. So I, I suppose a run-in like this, based on how they've booked it, is the only thing he could do. But to be honest, after getting like a third of what would be a really great match between Jericho and Benoit, who are arguably, you know, I would say along with Eddie and Ray, the two best cruiserweights in the world at this point, maybe Chuck Hoovy in there too, mm. um, that we're not going to we're not going to get this match that sold out. Instead, we're going to get Benoit and Raven, which, like, no disrespect on Raven's name, but I feel like it's not, it's not what, it's not what people are looking for. There's a lot of heat on this match. People love Benoit at this point in time, and they hate Jericho. And when it comes to Raven and his flock, they're kind of indifferent. So I, maybe it will come to see that when we watch Sold Out, it'll be secretly a five-star match, but based on the booking so far in WCW, I somehow doubt it. I have a little bit of a side note. I think if Chris Benoit, A, didn't kill his family himself, B... <laughs> Big uh, A. That's, I mean, I gotta, I have to start with that. Or it was maybe like, I don't know, half a foot taller. I think he could have been, he could have taken Goldberg's gimmick. I, I think it's interesting because... What makes Goldberg work is that even though he can't wrestle, he has two moves that he does arguably better than anybody else. He will do both of them, and then that's the match every single time. Goldberg, it's all about the buildup to those two moves, the entrance and the hype and the Goldberg chant creating that atmosphere. I feel like while Benoit definitely does have the heat, you know, he's... He's hot, like Goldberg's hot. He's arguably the most over guy in this company at this point. What makes Benoit so special is that he can go for like 60 minutes, is that he has an endless supply of moves to delve from. I mean, I would say Goldberg probably hasn't even heard of half of the moves that Chris Benoit does on a regular view. What's an atomic drop? Like, I don't know. <laughs> watch me do it, Chris. Watch me do a fruit roll-up. It's interesting. I mean, if you actually, I think if you really want to see like the successor to that gimmick, it's Daniel Bryan. Yeah. It's a guy who kind of doesn't have a gimmick, whose gimmick is that he's kind of an undersized underdog who is really, really good at wrestling. Flash forward, you know, six or seven years, and then he just becomes guy from Seattle who's shitting about it. Yes. And much like Benoit, Bryan ended up getting a bunch of concussions because he kept doing headbutts. <laughs> like a fucking idiot. Speaking of fucking idiots, how comes Hogan and Bischoff for uh Oh my god fucking uh you know butthurt that Sting beat me, but I'm gonna turn the narrative around and say I beat Sting twice, which is not true because oh, we looked at the news. audio like we looked at the both audio and video for ten fucking times. And we, <laughs> we see no Sting put him in the stinger in the in the stinger scorpion lock twice. And yeah, he tapped it, twice. It's it makes me kind of bummed out that, like, 
Ray and Eddie only went like four or five minutes, and I know that was to make time for this Hogan promo. Oh, where he talks very slowly about, I mean, it's the same shit as last week, you know? Like, it's Hogan, so it's kind of cool, but it's just the same thing where he's like, you all are going to be cheering me on. Sting's going to be there. Like, that piece of shit. Yeah. I'm going to kill him. It's sold out. And he, Hogan has deluded himself. It's kind of funny. He's deluded himself into believing that J.J. Dillon will personally hand him the belt back at sold out. <laughs> and that the only reason he's not doing it today is because he's, like, polishing the belt and putting Hogan's name in cursive on it. And that's the reason why they're going to have to wait another two days. But the saving grace of this bit is that it's uh, short and too sweet. Yeah, and the announce team has fun, too, trying to count all the times Hogan lies during the promo. Oh, yeah, Brain <laughs> actually says, Brain says at the top of the promo, uh, time for the lie of the week. Yes, and after four in the first ten seconds of the promo, they give up. No. It's like trying to do Trump. Like, it's, it's not worth it. You're just, just going to get mad. I love... Uh, in between the Jericho Benoit match and this Hogan promo, at least on my version from the network, you get a little Burger King bumper. And apparently, Burger King's slogan in the late 90s was get your burgers worth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Get a burger's worth of a burger? No, because the implication is, is that in the phrase get your money's worth, it means you paid money and you want an equivalent value coming back to you based off the money that you have spent. In yeah. this case, the implication is you have like given a burger to somebody and have not gotten reciprocity. I have not gotten my burger's worth after giving you this burger. <laughs> Which having gone to Burger King, it should be the other way around. I should be, Burger King should be getting their burgers. My, I, I don't know. I'm getting off track here, worrying about this Burger King slogan, but I had like a minor existential crisis when I saw that. So after after the existential breakdown we had from the uh, Burger King commercial, <laughs> uh, we go to a Nitro recap where, it, given sort of like a slideshow, narr uh, narrated by uh, Big T about how Perry Saturn trying to screw Booker T out of the TV title in, like, the January 12th version, uh, edition of Nitro. And then uh, Rick Martell kind of, like, put the kibosh on that and told the refs. And that's why at the uh, at the top of the show, we saw uh, Rick Martell just kind of get the shit kicked out of him by, uh, mm. by I think, like... Raven's Flock. Raven, by Raven's Flock. Sick um, Boy and the other one. Perry. Perry. Yeah. Um, and... You know, Booker, then uh, Martell tells Booker that he owes him one. So now we're going to see them to wrestle at, uh, at Sold Out. So, oh, great. Yeah, that could be kind of cool. Uh, Martell is in kind of a weird place in his career at this point. He's not like a young guy anymore, but he can definitely still go, and he's in great shape. And more than anything, you can tell that he's like a pro, which makes what happens in this match with Perry Saturn even scarier. I don't know if you noticed, but like the first three bumps that Perry Saturn takes, Perry Saturn, who mind you is wrestling in blue jeans and like a belt, he <laughs> takes the first three yeah. bumps of this match directly on his tailbone. And yeah, I saw the first that. one is like a, 
a back body drop from way up high. Martel gets him up really high, and Saturn just fucking cracks down on his butt. I was like, oh, fuck. It looks horrible. I mean, this match is, this match is a mess. It's like, a disaster, uh, you know, yeah. Saturn goes to the out, uh, Lariat's, uh, Martel Lariat Saturn on the outside, top of the cameraman. Uh, Lodi comes out with a Martel's a stooge sign, but then he gets knocked off the apron, but then Saturn fucking drops Martel in his crotch on the top rope. Jesus yeah. Christ, what a mess. I, I'm like a Perry Saturn sympathizer, but at least in this match, this is a disaster. Like, he does not come off well here. He doesn't look ready to wrestle. He's kind of, I don't know if he's like tired or what's the, what the problem is here, but it's not, it's not clicking. I think he's just frustrated. Like, Perry Saturn, by all intents and purposes, he's a good wrestler. Like, yeah, he, he's not bad. Like, he's the innovator of the, the Ring Saturn. He Ring Saturn, and I love that submission, yeah. But, uh, and that's kind of his whole MO for this whole match, is he's trying he's to set up for the Saturn. The thing is, is like, he's a great wrestler. He's just stuck with these fucking schmucks. He's <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I enough. would not call Rick Martell a schmuck. I think no, Rick no, no, Martell no, is him. arguably a better wrestler than Barry Saturn. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the flock. So him being stuck. Oh, oh yes, yes. Yeah, when you're associating yourself with Sick Boy and Raven and I don't even know who are the other ones, the other ones, the other Hot Topic managers, like, you're right, it's not, it doesn't work. Nirvana cover band uh, folks. Yeah, he had, I guess he had like a lot of issues too and he is kind of a messed up guy, but it just, it doesn't play here, especially in such a short match. I mean, uh, this is the story with a lot of the stuff on this episode, especially towards the end, is that they have to set up for sold out, so the runtime of most of these matches is going to be well under 10 minutes, and while it does help the episode kind of clip by, I just find myself being like, if I were to buy the sold out pay-per-view and not have watched this episode of Thunder, I don't know how much I would have missed. You know, I would have missed, like, the explanation for Ray getting injured and maybe the setup of this stuff with Rick. But everything else is just, no, all right. (laughs) Good stuff. I do appreciate how um, I couldn't tell. Maybe you could, maybe you have a better grasp on this. I couldn't tell if this was a a real fuck-up or not. But as Perry Saturn is waiting in the ring for Rick Martell to come out, Rick Martell takes like a really long time to I show up. I have this so note. You can hear, I think it's Brain being like, okay, I guess we're going to show a replay of this again. It's like clearly trying to stall because Rick Martell is having his own spinal tap moment backstage and can't figure out where the ramp is. He has like this, he has his signature softcore porn music playing and yes. he just he sprints out of the crowd. <laughs> Getting into the ring, and I'm just like, I, I feel like he missed his cue, but yes. I had him just like, if we're talking cave favors, well, he did get the shit kicked out of him um, at, the, at the top of the show. You wouldn't, and look, if you were fucked up, you wouldn't be sprinting out. Full tilt, yeah. He, he, fucked, he fucked up. He missed, he missed his entrance. Yeah, it's just amazing because there is easily a 30 second gap between 
when his music hits and when he shows up at the ramp and the sprint that he has to the ring is the sprint of a man who 30 seconds ago had his dick out at the urinal and heard <laughs> his entrance music and went, oh no! He <laughs> said full tilt sprint to the ring. <laughs> he's running as if he's saying to himself, oh God, I hope the camera realizes I didn't fucking shake before I left to take a piss. Oh, that music sounds really familiar. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> I can almost guarantee you that's what happened here, and it, it made me crack up so much. Oh god, that was that that was that was a good belly laugh. That was that was awesome. So we cut to the desk uh, before our main event, which again is uh, Scott Hall versus Netflix star uh, Paul White, aka Giant. So they're talking <laughs> up uh, Roddy's return. As they were just talking about, you know, he was hurt for a little bit and he was on uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. And I got this uh, great exchange, which I summarized. Uh, do Hogan and Bischoff really think that WCW is just going to hand them the belt? They think that they think that they think that they know that. <laughs> what, what Gilbert and Sullivan nonsense is that? <laughs> that, that? That was all brain. I just like... Kind of had to write that down. It's hard to tell with brain what is like purposefully stupid and convoluted because he's a heel announcer and what is just like it didn't, he said something and it didn't work and you can't, he's trying to play it off like it means something. I'm starting to, every time I see Bobby at the announce desk on Thunder, I feel like he's sort of like JR on Dynamite. He's just like, he's, he, he's a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. It's just like, this whole thing is just a fucking shit show. Well, if you're, imagine being somebody, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm watching the entrances for this upcoming match and somebody has a sign in the first row. Sign watch, sign watch. I'm watch, I'm watch. I would rather be at Nitro. <laughs> I mean, me too, man. Oh, me too. Yeah, that's what wow. everybody else is saying. Holy fucking shit. Way to hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Somebody is also walking around in a continuation of Steinwatch. Somebody is walking back and forth across the hard cam with a sign that says DDP is a crackhead. What indicates crackhead in, DD in DDP? Maybe like his look because he's kind of shaggy. I, I don't know. I don't know. Why was that criticism reserved for DDP and not, I don't know, Raven or Sick Boy? Or Scott Hall! That's crazy. That's he has it up during the Scott Hall match. Oh, Scott Hall's crazy. done crack! <laughs> so, when, and when they're coming out, I'm thinking, you know, what's the, in my head, the first thing I thought, what's the over-under on a DQ finish with the same match? Yeah, that would be awesome because it would be out of the last four matches, it would be the third DQ finish. Which, can you imagine if you were watching an episode of like, let's say NXT today, and there were four consecutive matches and three of them ended in a DQ? I would say, what the fuck is this? It would be unheard of. If can you imagine paying... 50 or $60 to go to this taping of Thunder and almost every match ends up in some bullshit. And you want to know what, Nick? 
you're completely right because within I don't know three minutes of this match, Hogan shows up. So I, I was gonna say, like, like no, they don't even do I wonder what they're gonna fucking do this time. There's no match. Like uh, Scott Hall and Giant get to the ring. They start drawing each other. Scott flicks his toothpick at Giant. Giant tries to set him up for the choke slam, and then immediately after that, Hogan and Kevin Nash show up at the ring apron to start okay. interfering with the match. We are one minute into this thing. I would argue that this is where it gets exciting because he grabs Hogan, Giant. Giant grabs Hogan, grabs Nash, and then puts him up and slams him for a double choke slam. Which is awesome. It's and it gets. Awesome. Dude, it gets a Road Warriors pop. Like, they oh, yeah. fucking it's crazy. love it. And guess who comes to save Giant? Lex Luger! Lex Luger comes! And then Macho comes to help the NWO. And then Macho gets pulled to the outside and let's poke him in the torture rack. And Nash just fucking watches. Just, <laughs> ah, just more bullshit. But uh, I will say, this episode ends with a flourish where a uh, giant chokeslam Scott Hall, it looks like he gets the three, but Nash jumps in, breaks it up, and friggin' giant can't respond. He can't respond to this bullshit until sold out. So he makes his presence known by fucking collapsing the ring. Yes, it's the classic big show breaks the ring spot, which he would repeat six other times in his career. But you want to know what? Every time it happens, I'm like, oh, shit. This is sick. I mean, because, yeah, it's happened so many times in in Giants' career, and that's, you know, of course. But, like, would it have the same impact if, like, say, Ray did that? Ray Mysterio just fucking collapses the ring with, like, one, like one kick or something like that? That would only make sense if Ray had the density of, like, a collapsing star. <laughs> it doesn't work. Like, you would just be like, either Ray is way heavier than I think he is, or this ring is constructed very shoddily. <laughs> With fucking bubblegum and band-aids, this ring is held up. Do you want to know something that this last kind of schmoz with all the NWO coming out to fuck over people like kind of made me miss or, or maybe, maybe I should say made me appreciate about this era is that if you're watching modern day WWE or AEW, when there's a run-in and somebody's trying to interfere with a match, they almost 100% of the time run into the match wearing their full ring gear. Like they were preparing to do it or, or that they had, even if they didn't have a match that day, they got fully dressed just so they could dick around in this match. What I love about WCW at this point is that if Kevin Nash is going to run in to dick around with Giant or something, he's, why would he get dressed? He's wearing like jeans and a flannel, you know? And, and Lex Luger, Lex Luger is wearing jeans and like boots. It's, it's just, it makes it feel more real to me. Also in the fact, and like, as far as like cultural and fashion zeitgeist in the 90s, I feel like we're at the point where if you're coming in causing shit with a fanny pack on, you're a shithead. 
Yes, and a flannel and a backwards baseball cap. Like, yeah. Evan Nash looks like, at least at this point in time, he's dressed like every dick that watched Swingers and then moved to Seattle. Like, he's fucking <laughs> singles, not Swingers, sorry. But the same I, thing. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. The point stands. He, he looks like every, like every newscaster that is going undercover to report on grunge. Oh my god! Kevin Nash has big narc energy at oh. this point in time, which I love, and it totally, it totally works for him. I mean, I can't take my eyes off him when he's on the screen. He's just such a repellent dick. I, honestly, one of the best, one of the best heels ever. A- absolutely, I, there's no question, and I think he, whether or not he is the worst WWE champion is sort of besides the point because he's great. Even if he didn't draw for shit like Kevin Nash rules. Look, at that point, that's not his fault. Like, I I can't, I honestly, with the work he did with the NWO and in WCW, no way was that his fault. Yeah, if it was, when was he champ? Like 1994 or something? I think at that point in time, you're winding down the new generation era in WWF I don't think anybody could have drawn. I think you're absolutely right. I think whether it was him, whether it was Sean, honestly, whether it was like Brett at that point in time, like the numbers were just not going to be there. Yeah. So end of this episode, another schmoz, giant breaks the ring. What do you, what do you think letter grade for this, uh, for this, uh, I would say a solid C. I think there's, there's some really good stuff in this episode, especially towards uh, the beginning. Uh, that uh, Lucha four-man tag match with Laparca and Chavo was pretty fun. There's a lot of stuff in this that could have been better. When you like, if you were to look just at the list of matches on this show and you saw back-to-back. Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit. You would be like, wow, what a fucking episode of Thunder. But if you actually watch the episode, all of that is maybe 10 minutes long. So we're not really getting anything. And then the rest of it is just either promos or schmozzes or squash matches. Like, looking back at this episode, I completely forgot that Goldberg was in this. At, within like twenty minutes of him appearing, yeah, I think um, I think that's about right. I give it a C plus only because like at, at the end I was like, wow, okay, like I'm I'm legitimately excited for sold out. Yeah. That that was a good way to, to to get heat on that show. I we're we're at a point I think in every one of these wrestlers' career was just like we know they're good. We know that they have done tours around the world and people know who they are and they go over like a million dollars at the same time because they're being put on a b show we're not getting like the peak of these guys we're only getting like little snippets like five minute minute or not even five minutes jesus christ that's generous like uh two three minute matches either just to sell the upcoming show or just to get eyes on nitro if that was the case, eh, let me tell you, it, it's working. It kind of makes me want to watch Nitro, but at the same time, like, I want, I paid money to come see Thunder. 
Like, give me, give me something that I don't see on Nitro. And I'm not, and I'm not getting that. It's, it's like, there are too many good wrestlers on this program for it to just be an an hour and 20 minutes of like fucking filler. I I want a little more. Yeah. I think if you look, they're in a situation where they have arguably the greatest roster of wrestling talent ever assembled. And they're kind of struggling of what to do with all of this. I think if you were to ask me, like, what are the big storylines going on right now? I would be able to tell you pretty well. I think they've, they've got those going. But if you were to ask me, like, what was a cool match on Thunder? Honestly, maybe none of it. Like, maybe none of it. Like, there's, there's the wrestling that is on this episode of Thunder isn't bad, but it is so truncated and so kind of slapped together just oh fuck it we need a we need a go home schmoz that it sort of forces you to not really care when the best match on your show is marty Janetti versus d malenko which again like no no shade on either of those guys but that is that is a mid-card match and yeah. it's like the second match on the show and there's another hour after it and none of it's that good we, I think we're definitely we're definitely covering uh, sold out, right? Oh yeah, we have to. We I have think to. if anything, this has if this episode of Thunder has accomplished anything, it's that I am excited for sold out, which is a pay per view I have never seen. So I'm I'm going to be watching it for the first time, and I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm very excited to see what happens with Giant and Kevin Nash because I think their combined mass could cause some of the trash in the arena to orbit around them, which could be cool to see. Me too. I am, I'm excited for that show. On that note, I think, uh, I think we have our next episode. Tune in, tune, uh, tune in, drop out for, uh, for sold out. <laughs> tune in, sold, sell out, sold out. Turn on, tune in, Roll out of the ring, make your opponent chase you, roll back into the ring. It's WCW. All right. Bye, everybody. What are we doing here?